Hi friends, today we are talking about creating choral repertoire for elementary choir. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 43 of Elemental Conversations. At the time of the year that this episode is coming out, many people have choral repertoire on their minds because in December, many people are asked to put on some sort of choral production before winter break. So today we're going to have a conversation about what to do when you are looking for that very perfect piece of choral repertoire for your students, for your elementary choir. This is geared toward uh, kind of third through fifth grade choir or so, although I can see it carrying very natural into middle school choir as well. Before we get started, I want to say this is not uh, like me going through my list of favorite two-part choral arrangements and saying where you can buy them, although that would be a lot of fun to talk about as well. I would actually like to talk about the agency that you have as the teacher to create your own choral repertoire that works for your specific students at this particular moment in time. To have this conversation, we are going to talk a lot about harmony and about the progression of singing harmony in elementary music, the progression of harmony for young musicians. There is a podcast episode here, uh, episode 29, is on singing harmony in elementary music. This is not, this episode, episode 29, is not uh, an episode about choral music specifically. It's a little bit more of a holistic approach about how harmony and texture and part singing how all of those work together in the music curriculum as a whole. So if you have not yet listened to that episode, again, it's episode 29, but the progression that we're walking through is number one, unison and steady beat. That's the main uh, core understanding, the core competency that all of these are built upon. So after steady beat, we're going to talk about rhythm versus beat, and then adding in ostinati, and then adding in chord roots, and then things like partner songs and counter melodies, and then rounds, and then parallel harmony would come very last. And I think that's an important distinction to make here when we talk about choral repertoire, because when you look for choral music, you are probably looking for a two or maybe three part arrangement for this age group. And if you're new to children's choirs, you might go to J.W. Pepper and pick up a sheet of music that you think looks really easy, like, for example, just uh, an easy two-part arrangement of a folk song. And you might think that you are good to go because from your eye, it looks very, very simple. But I would like you to press pause on that arrangement if you notice that it uses parallel harmony. Very quickly, when I say parallel harmony, because I know there are lots of different uh, types of music teachers listening, and some have a, a formal music background, and some are working on their formal music background right now. When I say parallel harmony, that would be a main melody, and then the harmony part is tracking that melody right above it or right below it. So if the melody moves up, the harmony moves up. If the melody moves down, the harmony moves down. If your students do not have a background in parallel harmony yet, I would encourage you to 
just to move away from that particular piece and come back to it when your students have just a little bit more experience in all of these part singing um, examples that we are talking about both today and then in that earlier episode, episode 29. Parallel harmony is, this was a surprise to me when I learned this, but that is actually one of the last things that students are going to learn in terms of their part work development. It is the hardest one to differentiate orally because unless you have just a super solid understanding of intervallic relationships and how those are moving together with the chord changes of the song, it can be very confusing for students to figure out which pitch they are singing. Are they singing the upper pitch or the lower pitch? Very often you will find when you're working with young singers that they think they are singing the melody and they are actually singing the third below, the harmony below it, or they think they are singing the harmony and they are actually singing the melody. They have a hard time differentiating because of this parallel harmony. And that can sometimes be kind of frustrating to us as the teacher because number one, we can hear that they cannot hear the difference and that might make us confused about how we should best help them. But then the other thing is just from a very practical perspective, it can make it very challenging for us to find appropriate repertoire. That is one of the realities of working with this specific age group in terms of repertoire. In my opinion, this is my opinion, but I find that upper elementary repertoire can be very limited just in terms of how much is available to us to choose from. And I think that is especially true if we were to compare this body of repertoire to the collegiate experience that many of us came from. I think that, you know, when we are working inside the context of an undergrad or a graduate choral program, there are so many pieces of repertoire and so many genres and so many periods of music history and so many different choral traditions that are available like at the drop of a hat that is on everyone's standard repertoire list. And we don't see that same amount of repertoire in upper elementary children's choirs. And I think there are many reasons for that uh, that are outside the scope of this conversation. But what I will say is, again, in my opinion, I think that this gap in repertoire is an opportunity because the very best experts in the world, the very best composers for choral voices in the choral setting, those expert composers have never met your students. You want to know who has met your students? You have. And so in my opinion, I think that the very best person who is able to compose and arrange for children's choirs for your students is you and your students. So that's what we'll talk about today in a little bit more detail. The choir arrangements that I have done have always come from a pedagogical need. They have come from a gap in the repertoire. When I teach a song in a choral setting, I very rarely want to teach it as an isolated song, an isolated song that just kind of lives for one performance and then we're done with it. I would much rather think about how the musical concepts in those songs can relate to what we are working on in the overall music curriculum. I'm always trying to think about the connections. And this is something that we've talked about before in some previous episodes. What would come before this piece? What students need to know in order to make sense of this piece from a musical and a text and a social and emotional standpoint. And then where is the logical next step of this piece? Where does it lead? 
These are the pedagogical needs that I find are really lacking in choral music that I come across online, just because it is impossible for any composer on J.W. Pepper to know that in the third week of November, students are going to be working on X concepts in X kind of part work setting. There's no way that they could know that. So a pedagogical need is where I start the arranging process. What is the purpose of this song? What do you want the song to do? What musical concept will it serve? And if we were to take this song and place it in your scope and sequence, where would it best fit? That's the background. That's the background of how we are approaching this process. From a very practical standpoint, when we are getting ready to do a choral arrangement, let's just say of a folk song, and then we'll talk about some pop music repertoire that we could use as well. Uh, but just as an example, let's think about some folk songs that we might use. When we are transitioning those unison folk materials into a choral setting, we're going to think about what is the melody and what is the baseline. So let's take some examples just off the top my head, I jotted down Fe Do Do, I jotted down Four White Horses, Rocky Mountain, Sing Sing Together, and Vamos a la Mar. When you have your songs picked out, the most uh, basic chord progression would be a tonic and a dominant. That is the one and the five. If you can find songs that move somewhere around the one, five, one progression, that is going to be the most simple entry point for students singing harmony, singing, when I say harmony, <laughs> singing a chord progression. So the very first step would be to take your song that you are going to use and sing through the baseline and think, could I ask my fourth grade students to sing this baseline with me? So just as an example, let's take the song at the top of my list, Fe Dodo. This is an American song. It is a Cajun lullaby, and it's also a Cajun dance. And there's a really interesting history of the lullaby and the dance and how they uh, are interrelated with each other. But to the very best of my French pronunciation, the song is... If we were to add a baseline to that, we might end up with do 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 do. Do, 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 do. Will you choose if you want to sing the melody with me or the bass line? I cannot see you as you drive in your car, but make sure that you have your choice. <laughs> and let's try it together. One, two, here we sing. Fais dodo, qu'on l'a mon petit frère. Fais dodo, tu auras de lolo. Okay, how did you do? Hopefully that was fun. I find that even very simple combinations of melody and harmony can be very musically effective and certainly very musically fulfilling to do both for students and for adults. So hopefully that was fun.
So that's step one. We are going to choose a song that has a one five one baseline, or at least, you know, if you are not sure where to start, this is a good place to start. Find a piece that has tonic and dominant as a functional baseline. And just to be clear, this does not necessarily mean that you have to start the rehearsal process by teaching the melody and then teaching the baseline second. You might choose to introduce it with an ostinato and then add the melody or add the melody and then an ostinato and then the baseline. Line, right? So this is not necessarily the order that you have to rehearse it in, but when we think about arranging for choral repertoire, it is likely that we are going to start with a melody and a baseline in terms of choosing repertoire for our selection, for our arrangement itself. Something that I want to address here, because all music teachers are music learners. Everyone is learning something about music. There's never a point when we are done. So to that end, sometimes we have music teachers that are not sure of what the baseline is. They are not sure about what those chord progressions should be in terms of functional harmony. So everyone is learning something, and some music teachers are learning about hearing the implied harmonic changes of something like a folk song melody. So if this is a total snooze fest for you, then feel free to skip ahead, or you can listen to it and think about doing this with your students, because elementary age students can do this as well. The baseline in this case is functional harmony, and that means that it is moving us toward a cadence. Our patterns in these songs, in these 151 tonic dominant tonic songs, it's going to be some combination of the home chord do and the away chord so. We have something here and then it leaves and then it comes back home. This is always going to be our harmonic motion, starting at home and then leaving and then coming back. Now, the functional harmony is different about uh, is different than thinking about what would sound interesting from a chord harmony perspective. This is something that I did not always understand. I thought of harmonizing a melody as adding the chords themselves as opposed to the harmonic function of home and away. So if you start with a song, you sing the melody in your head, and you can probably hear these chord changes already. Give yourself those two options, the tonic and the dominant, and then you'll end on the tonic again. It's just a matter of what order you hear those chords uh, being used in the song. It's just a matter of the order of those two harmonic functions, tonic and dominant. So sing the song in your head and try uh, two lines of music at once. You're going to try to hear the melody and the baseline harmony, the chord outline at the same time. So while we are talking about this, why don't we all practice this together? Let's take another song that we could connect to Fedodo, that is Great Big House in New Orleans. And this is not on my list of songs that I shared earlier, but it certainly could be. So this is your tonic and this is your dominant, and then you'll come back up to tonic. If you're not familiar with this song yet, it is great big house in New Orleans, 40 stories high. Every room that I've been in filled with pumpkin pie. This is your option for chord changes. I will sing it, the melody, and will you please try to sing the harmonic outline in your head? Don't sing it out loud, just sing it in your head. One, 
two, here we go. Great big house in New Orleans, 40 stories high. Every room that I've been in, filled with pumpkin pie. You might have ended up with something that sounds like, do, 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 do. Let's see if we can listen to those together. Again, you can pick which uh, which line you want to do, either the bass line or the melody. One, two, here we go. Great do, big house in do, New Orleans, do, 40 stories do, high. Do, Every room that do, I've been in, do, filled with pumpkin pie. Let's do it again. Great big house in New Orleans, 40 stories high. Every room that I've been in, filled with pumpkin pie. All right, so you can probably see that we could hang out on this idea of just a melody and a functional bass line for a really long time, and it could be a lot of fun. So that is our first option. The next thing that we can do in a choral arrangement is to add an ostinato. You will recall from episode 29 that this is one of the very first part work experiences that students have. An ostinato is a very easy way to add more interest to the song. We could have lots of different ostinato options as well, and that's something that makes this such a versatile tool to have in our arranging tool belt. <laughs> when we are looking at ostinati, we could have a vocal ostinato, something like a melodic ostinato, so like a tiny little fragment melody that we repeat over and over. We could also have a body percussion ostinato, and for that matter, we could also transfer our ostinato to unpitched percussion or barred instruments. Now, of course, that would not be a strictly vocal arrangement choice, but that option is there for us. And depending on your context, that could be a really fun way to add some new life to your choral arrangements. Another thing to think about if you are using melodies that have a 151 implied harmony, then your ostinato can also go on the fifth and just stay on the fifth the whole entire time. Now, you probably won't want too many voices in doing this ostinato because that can get a little bit repetitive over time. This is something that over in Orfland we talk about. It's called rhythmic interest on the fifth, and we can do that with vocal harmony as well. So lots of different ostinato options. And then one more thing just to keep in mind with ostinati is that you don't need to have just one. You can have several ostinato patterns that you layer in, and that can make everything so exciting, so rhythmically interesting. But all you're doing is taking these little, little repeated patterns and you are layering them on top of each other. Let's listen to one example. This is Who Has Seen the Wind, and I believe I have shared this before, probably in episode 29, so we won't listen to too much of this, but this is an example of more than one ostinato happening at the same time. Who 
Okay, so there's that. Let's go back to Fedodo and let's think about some ostinati that we might add just to add a little bit more rhythmic interest and to add a little bit more part work interdependence. So to get that back in our ears, it is Let's think about a body percussion ostinato that can kind of enforce this or reinforce this swaying triple meter thing that we have going on. Let's go stamp, clap, clap, stamp, clap, clap, clap. Let's try that with the melody. One, two, Ostinato with the melody. Okay, I like it. That's fine. Something else to point out is that with this example, do, 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 that's a repeating pattern as well. And we could turn that into a melodic ostinato with text if we wanted. This would probably depend on the place you are at in terms of your pedagogy sequence and then also the age of your students. At a certain point, adding text will be very helpful in some senses, but some of our students are going to think that it's kind of babyish. So you can make that choice on your own. Let's pretend that this melodic ostinato for the bass line has the text go to sleep now. It would sound like go to sleep now, go to sleep now. So you can see that already with the bass line and the melody and the body percussion ostinato, we're adding in a lot of interesting elements that then we can take apart and put back together in any order that we want. Let's talk about the last thing to add on top. Well, I, one of the last things to add on top, and that is a partner song or a counter melody or singing it in a round or canon. Partner songs and counter melodies, that's where you have an existing song that you can add to your repertoire that you're already using. So an example of that would be if we took the song Starlight, Star Bright and added it to Fe Do Do. Here's what that might sound like. All right, so we have talked about having a main song, even a very simple folk song, and adding a 1-5-1 harmonic progression to that. And then we've talked about all of the different ostinato options that we can come up with. And then we have talked about partner songs and counter melodies. I'm kind of lumping those in together. And then what we have not done an example of yet are rounds. That is where uh, one person starts singing and then the next voice comes in with the same song a few beats later. You need to be intentional with that to make sure that your round harmony, the harmony that is created by two voices singing in a round, that that does not clash with the harmonic progression of the song. So the best way that I have to recommend for checking that kind of work, if you cannot hear those two parts happening simultaneously in your head without singing, then just use the voice memo app on your phone and record yourself singing one part of the round and then come in with a second one and see if it would clash with that harmony. 
before we leave this, we can also think about, you know, since a lot of pop music has very similar chord progressions or sometimes identical chord progressions, if you find two songs that have identical chord progressions, they might be good siblings for partner songs or for counter melodies. The combination that comes to mind that I have done in the past is Brave by Sarah Bareilles and Eye of the Tiger from Katy Perry. All right, the very final piece of this conversation is student input. Student input in the form of improvisation or arranging or composition. Improvisation is a really, really easy one to add into choral arrangements like this because you can just throw in a B section where students are doing improvisation with body percussion, or they could do vocal improvisation with a partner, or they could do improvisation on recorders or barred instruments or something like that. Improvisation is very, very simple to add in because you don't have to write it. <laughs> Students just make it up on the spot. And so depending on the level of musicianship in terms of spontaneous musical decisions, the level of musicianship uh, for creative improvisation, this can be a really great option. That's like a drag and drop interesting thing to add to any choral arrangement. Just pause make a B section, jump back in. Uh, another thing that you can do is in the realm of arranging, if you have a piece of music with all of these different components, the melody, um, and maybe there are like a couple of verses to your melody, and then you have your harmonic outline, and then you have an ostinato or two or three, and then maybe you also have a partner song that goes on top of that melody. This very quickly gets turned into a lot of different moving pieces. A very simple way to get your students arranging is for them to come up with the order of all of these pieces. We can use a layer in structure where we choose what is going to start and then what's going to come in second. That is a great option. Another one is sectional form. So if you make the A section, let's just imagine um, the chord progression and the ostinato, and then the B section could be all of the parts together. And then the A section, again, is the chord progression and the ostinato. Something like that in ABA or ABAB uh, or a very simple form is a really great way to get students thinking about how they can kind of puzzle piece all of these arrangements together, all of these different components together. And then as a class, you might decide, are we going to start kind of small in terms of dynamics and texture and then get big? Do we want to go like small, big, small, or maybe big, small, big, right? These questions about how should we begin the piece? How should we end it? What do we want the audience to feel in terms of excitement? And how can the dynamics and expressive elements that we're adding, how can that serve our musical purpose for this song? All of that, those are such interesting conversations to have with students, and they're a lot of fun. Going back to Fedodo, I mentioned that choral repertoire, when we are arranging it ourselves as the teacher, it's probably going to come from a pedagogical need and a gap in the literature. I, for this song in particular, I could pull improvisation in 3-4, or I might pull improvisation with mi, re, do, or perhaps um, the full pentatone. It just depends on where students are. And then from there, I can make my decision about, you know, maybe we improvise with body percussion and maybe that's us 
Uh, maybe that's me and the class. Maybe that's half of the class to the other half of the class, or maybe that can be the class and the audience in three, four time. All of these are really great options to think about how we can include student improvisation and arranging and then moving into composition in our choral arrangements. All right, wrapping up, we have talked about a lot of different ways to approach arranging music for upper elementary choir. The big idea, the elemental piece here is that the music that we do in the classroom is high quality. The music that we do in the classroom is worth listening to, and it has a lot of creative potential, both for us and our students. So we will look for a song that we like, a song with lots of musical possibilities, and then together with our students, we can brainstorm all of the ways that we could add different musical elements to create a very specific, a very unique choral arrangement that only you and your students could come up with. <laughs>